In Your Corner, we are right back at it. one 833 in your corner and help at inyourcorner.ca as well. You want to reach out anytime to Savannah, James, the rest of the crew. That is the way we roll. Lots of emails and questions on the show today, and we always get to the uh, the week that was. I know, Savannah, you got a couple things to talk about. James, you got one as well. Savannah, take it away, my friend. All right, John, let me start off with a question that was posted to our website, mydisabilityquestions.com, where people can post free questions and they'll get uh, answers from us. Again, no cost within a few minutes. Uh, so just you know, shoot whatever question you have our way. So this one comes from Christina in Bradford, and here's what she writes. She says, my LTD, long-term disability, expires in August. I can't go back to my position due to fibromyalgia and arthritis mm-hmm. in my lower back. I can't sit for more than 20 minutes and even stand, and I can even stand even, even a shorter period of time. Um, my company so far has not found a job that I could do. I tried four times to get back to my position, but could not do so due to extreme pain and lack of concentration. Some days I can't even get out of bed. My company says that they only owe me a job that would pay 60% of my original pay. I cannot commit to any job, even part-time, as no one would hire me to come to work when I'm feeling only sure. only when I'm feeling good. What are my options by law? So this is an interesting question because, again, just like we always talk about the this interplay between employment law and disability, this is a prime example. Now, I can't speak to the whole 60% of original pay and what the company's obligations are. That's something, John, you and Lior speak about right. on the employment hour. I suspect this is wrong. Uh, that said, you know, embedded within that question is this uh, fact that this person, this lady, cannot go back to work. And I'm assuming that she has doctors who support her being off work, support her being off disability. But listen to the focus of the question. It's about the employer. It's about the employment situation. She simply assumes that her LTD should be expiring in August. She's not even asking anything about her options. What happens when that LTD ends? Again, we don't have enough information here, but I can tell you, John, this is quite common for people to call us about employment issues when their LTD quote-unquote expires or ends when really it should not because the person is unable to go back to work. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is that we can help in the vast majority of cases where people's LTD ends prematurely when the insurance company says we are not paying you any more beyond a certain date. Uh, And that's despite the fact that the doctors are saying this person can no longer or, or for the foreseeable future is unable to work. We can help with those cases. We help in those situations. And again, in this case, we can help both with the employment side and the disability side. So again, if you're in that situation, you're having issue with your insurance company, with your employer, it'll cost you nothing to talk to us to get the legal advice you need and to know what your legal options are. It's the assumed expiration date on the on the disability, which and is And it amazing. happens a lot. Oh, and John, you know, Lior yeah. even emails me. He emailed me last week a few of these where people have contacted him again about their employment issues, but they're disabled. And their insurance company has told them that their LTD ends in a month, in two months, whatever yeah. it is. And James and I are here every week saying to people, if you're unable to work because of a disability and your doctors agree that you cannot go back to work, then it's not necessarily an employment issue. Right. You know, your insurance company should continue paying you and we can force them to continue paying you, but we can't do that unless you get in touch with us. We have a conversation with you, look at the documents, and then tell you how we can proceed. But we do this day in and day out. one 833 in your corner and help at ca as well. Uh, I'm going to flip over to you, James. What do you got? Well, John, one of the things we talk about probably every week on the show is the need to listen to your doctor. 
if your doctor is telling you something, if your doctor is telling you that you should not be working mm-hmm. or you should be getting this treatment or that treatment, that's who you listen to. Anything having to do with your medical condition or your treatment, you listen to your doctor, not your lawyer, not your insurance company, you listen to your doctor. That is a theme that will be on this show every week. But the other side of that is it's absolutely critical that you are honest with your doctor, that you tell your doctor, in fact, what you are feeling and what your capabilities are. So just this morning, I got a phone call from a very nice lady, a teacher who happened to Uh, get wind of the Julie Austin case that we've talked about several times on this show. And she had been uh, cut off, uh, or sorry, denied disability. It was a mental health claim. I'm not going to go into too many details, um, just obviously to protect her privacy on this. Uh, But she had applied for disability and was denied. And because of that, went to her doctors and said to her doctors, listen, I need to go back to work. Mm -hmm. You need to get me, you know, something in writing that says that I'm okay to at least try. And so she's been trying to go back to work now for the last year or so, and things are just getting worse and worse for her. She's struggling. She's getting threatened by her employer. Wow. uh, And her condition's just getting worse. And so, you know, the point of all of this is when she was denied by her insurer, the thing to do there is to challenge your insurer, to bring a claim, to say to your insurer, no, I'm entitled. My doctors support me. What she's done is put herself in a difficult position. Now, I think I'm going to be able to help her. I certainly will need to see the file. Uh, But her position would have been much better had she not gone to her doctors and try and persuade them to write a note to try and get them to, uh, you know, allow her to go back to work. The point of all of this is it's something that all of our listeners can learn from. If you have been denied long-term disability or if you're on disability and you've been cut off, you shouldn't go to your doctor and try and convince them of something that isn't so. If you're not feeling well enough to return to work and that's why you've gone on leave, you've applied for disability in the first place, the thing to do is to challenge that decision. It's not to pretend that you're okay and try and persuade your doctor. You're going to be in a much better position if you just challenge challenge your insurer then and there. Just getting warmed up. Lots more to go here. I know, Savannah, you have something to talk about before we get into our questions. In fact, the three things you do immediately once you've hired uh, James, Savannah, and the rest of the team, we will get to that once you've been denied LTD. That is important stuff, so stick around for it. one in your corner is the number, and help at inyourcorner.ca as well. This is In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. one in your corner is the number anytime. Reach out, get a hold of Savannah. His, uh, his team, James, as well at that number, help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get to some emails here. In, uh, in just a bit, they're piling up, guys, so I know you want to get through a bunch of these throughout the uh, the remainder of the show. I want to get to one more thing that uh, Savan mentioned. Well, what do you got uh, going on, pal? John, before I mention that, I want to go back to what James said about that case with a teacher who contacted him, and I think we mentioned this on the last show. We have a lot of teachers that contact us for a variety of reasons. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know why that is, but, you know, if you're a teacher out there or another teacher out there mm-hmm. who's having issues with the insurance company, uh, long-term disability issues, they've cut them off or they've denied their claim, we can probably help them. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure that people understand as well, because I get questioned about this all the time, I'll get people emailing me after the show, for example, and saying, do you know this particular disease? Uh, and they'll name some disease. Uh, you know, have you had experience with that kind of a disease? In other words, they think that we need to know each and every disease right. and disability out there in order to help them with their disability claim. No, that is not the case. I, you know, our focus here, our specialty is law. That's what we do. We're lawyers. We're not doctors. That said, 
we've had a you know quite a breadth of experience in terms of dealing with all sorts of injuries and disabilities and illnesses lung injuries you know cognitive deficits a whole bunch of concussions a whole bunch of stuff and really what we're looking for and how we assess whether or not we can help someone is by reviewing the medical reports we need to understand are your doctors or people who are treating you saying that you are disabled and if so why we need to read you know those reports understand the meat of those reports and then understand why the insurance company has denied the claim. And nine out of 10 times when I review these kinds of records where the doctor says, you know, I think that this person cannot work and the insurance company disagrees for whatever reason, we can bring a claim. We can bring a claim and we can get that claim resolved. And I say nine out of 10 times because there's, you know, again, every case is different. We have to assess every case on its merits. But if a person contacts us and they know they can't work, their doctors say they can't work and the insurance company disagrees, I can tell you chances are we can force the insurance company to come to the table and pay. Yeah, you're more, you guys are more concerned, I guess, in a legal stance. So the prognosis, not the diagnosis. You're not doctors. You're just concerned about how it affects them to go back to work or not. That's right? exactly true. And that's the same thing for a judge. If a judge right. ever reviews a case like this, if if this, if any of these cases, Julie Austin or any other ones, ever get before a judge, a judge is not a doctor, presumably, right? right. Who knows what they were in their previous life? But right. generally speaking, they're not. They are educated by the witnesses that we call up. Again, most of these cases, the vast majority of them, never even see a mm-hmm. courtroom. Insurance companies settle these claims. Yeah. They settle these claims because they know they're going to get hammered if we go to court. So don't be afraid, you know, reaching out to us. But don't think that if we haven't heard about your specific disability, that that means we can't help you. That's not the way it works. We simply need your doctors to say that you cannot work because of X, Y, and Z and explain it in a rational way, and then we can present your case properly. The reality is we never get too caught up in what the diagnosis is, or for that matter, really even the prognosis, because no one has a crystal ball. The focus of the analysis is on whether or not you have an injury or impairment that prevents you from returning to your own occupation, or if it's beyond two years, any occupation. Whether or not medical science has advanced to the point where they can put a label on that does not matter. So there are people out there who are dealing with symptoms that prevent them from being able to work, and their doctors don't know what's wrong. I was going to name yet. Happens all the yeah. time. And if you know, if you were to go back fifty years, you know, half of the things that we call X, Y, and Z didn't yeah. have a name back then. Yeah. Didn't mean that they weren't disabled. It didn't mean that there wasn't something legitimately preventing them from right. going to work. The label doesn't matter. The Supreme Court of Canada, the top court in the land, has said exactly that. It is not about the diagnosis. It is about your symptoms. And, and, you know, further to that point, John, you know, the fact that we say that we don't have a crystal ball, that doesn't prevent insurance companies from acting like they have a crystal ball. How many times, James, have you had cases? I've had cases where the insurance company says, we don't think you will uh, uh, meet the definition of totally disabled in six months or in eight months or in 12 months. What a bunch of nonsense, especially when the doctors themselves are saying, we actually don't know. My favorite is when they say, oh, well, there's this guide that we're relying on that says (laughs) someone who has your particular um, diagnosis should get better in eight to 12 weeks. And therefore, that's when we're cutting you off, which is utter nonsense. Every case is considered on a case by case basis. And there's just no way that any diagnostic manual is going to be able to consider all of the different variables that might be in play in your particular case, all of the other issues that you may be having that might increase that time or might prevent you from recovering at all. 
So that's nonsense. So, uh, yeah, you had one more thing to talk about. I think we still got a couple minutes, right? We're good to go. Yeah, yeah. just very briefly. So we ha- I had this uh, uh, individual, this, this lady um, who, who contacted me. She's 56 years old. She's an administrative assistant, and she suffers from psychological type of, of issues, mm-hmm. uh, some related to work, some not related to work. The point is that she's disabled from working, and she has doctors. She has a psychologist, uh, a nurse practitioner, a whole bunch of people helping her. And what was interesting to me when, when I received the information here from this lady is that she was actually referred to us by her doctor. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because, you know, we have a lot of doctors out there, uh, whether they're medical doctors, psychologists, whatever, that listen to the show as well and clearly understand that we can help people. You know, John, on the weekend, I actually had an accountant who had contacted me because the insurance company that was handling his client's claim, LTD claim, was trying to get credit from some investment income that his client was, uh, you know, was, right, was right. supposed to be getting. And so he was asking me, does rental income, you know, is that included? Can an insurance company get credit for that? So, you know, we, we get contacted not just by individuals, but by other people in the industry, in different industries who are, who are dealing with individuals who are disabled. So again, my message here is that if you're one of those people, you're listening, you're a doctor, psychologist, accountant, engineer, whatever, the fact that what we're talking about doesn't apply directly to you, think about other people that you know that we could help. That's absolutely critical. And I would say that at least in my mind, probably 70% of people who end up coming to us are people who are referred to us by listeners or viewers of the TV show or prior clients who have referred people. So it may not apply to you, but it may apply to someone you know. So spread the word. Coming up, we'll get to the three things that you guys do immediately once you are hired to fight for a client who's been cut off and denied or denied LTD. We'll get to that after a short break. Stick around. one 833 is the number and help at inyourcorner.ca as well. It's In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. In Your Corner, one 833 is the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Guys, want to get into this before we get to some uh, some emails and further down the road of the show here uh, today, three things, uh, James, Savan, you guys, and your, your team, for that matter, do immediately once you are hired uh, to fight for a client who's either been cut off or denied LTD. Who's first? I'll go first. Okay, so, done, decided. So this is something that happens immediately. You sign a retainer, and we will let the insurance company know right away that we've been retained and that we are dealing with this particular claim. Okay. And the impact of that is much more significant than we as lawyers often appreciate. And we have to remind ourselves of this because what happens from that moment onwards, anytime the insurance company wants to deal with that file, they're contacting us, they're contacting me or whichever lawyer is assigned. They are not ever to communicate with our client, either by email or by phone. So all of those phone calls that you've been getting um, that feel like they're bullying you or harassing you, that are increasing your stress level, they stop. That's it. As soon as we are involved, your focus is solely on your recovery. That's it. Your job is just to follow whatever treatment advice your doctor has told you you should follow. Our job is to deal with your insurance company, and that is the way it works from the very moment you sign the retainer. I, I agree with that, although it, it, it boggles my mind when I have people, and this is rare, but it does happen, calling me and telling me that they have a lawyer dealing with the LTD claim, but their lawyer is allowing them to communicate directly with the adjuster. Why? And so their stress levels are still through the roof. It's completely inappropriate, completely uncalled for, unnecessary. And you know, frankly, that's, I think, one of the biggest things that 
people take out of the meetings that we have with them, not so much that we can help them, but that we can actually deal directly with the insurer and they're never going to hear anything from the adjuster going forward. That's absolutely huge. Next one on the things you guys do immediately once hired. What do you got next? So the the next one that that I have here is, uh, you know, we review all of the uh, available documentation and we Mm -hmm. create a strategy of how to attack the insurance company to force them to pay what they owe. Now that may seem like common sense, but you know, think about that. If you go to a doctor for your disability, and let's say you're dealing with cancer, or you're dealing with a mental mental illness, whatever, you're expecting whoever you're going to for help to formulate a strategy, not to just try out different treatments yep. on you randomly. Uh, there has to be a strategy in place to get you better. Same thing goes here. And again, while this may seem like common sense, I remember having worked as a defense lawyer in the past and coming across lawyers who were representing their clients I would, you know, oftentimes not understand what these lawyers were doing. They were delaying claims, and not for strategic reasons. They simply were not necessarily be putting their mind to that claim because, I don't know, maybe they were handling a 1,000 claims right. with no staffing, no no teams. You want a lawyer, you want a group of, of um, like, you know, legal, uh, a, 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 a legal team that's going to be on your side, that's going to formulate a strategy, uh, have someone lead that strategy, and and really, you know, cut through all the bull that the insurance company is nice. throwing your way, right? You have to have that because if you don't have that, then the insurance company is going to overpower you, and they're going to overpower your legal team. And it's it's very it's important. It's and you know, at the end of the day, that could mean the difference between not only you getting a settlement or not, but even if you get a settlement, it could mean the difference of tens, if not hundreds of thousands right. of dollars. Here- so it's very very important to formulate that strategy. From the outset. I agree with all of that, but I think one thing that's really important to emphasize. So I I get asked by other lawyers, you know, how do you approach an LTD case? You know, how do you, are there tips and tricks? Right. I mean, there are, but at the end of the day, the only thing that really works is to know that file inside and out. And that means as the lawyer, I have to go through every document, every page in that file. And I do that. That's my process. I, if it's a thousand or 1500 pages, whatever it is. I'm going to sit down and spend the time going through every single page in there, and then I reverse engineer whatever their decision was. So I figure out when did they send the denial? What did they know at that point in time? After they after they made their decision, did they find anything else out that should have changed their mind? What steps did they make to make sure that they had all of the documentation that they should have had at the time they made the decision? And when you approach it that way, when you're willing to spend the time and really dissect the file like that, you're going to almost in every single case find many things that they ought to have done. There's no secret to it. It just involves taking the time and knowing the file. And that's what we do. When we get a file, we take it apart and we make sure we know it inside and out. So we've got a couple minutes, guys. We'll get to number three of the uh, three things you do immediately once hired and brought onto a case. Well, that ties into number two, which is formulate a strategy on how to move forward. Number three is meet with our team. We have a team in place and delegate tasks to make sure that we start the legal claim ASAP so that we don't Love lose it. any time. Love it. And again, this goes to the the idea that we understand the urgency that people have, you know, to make sure they get money in to resolve these claims ASAP. You know, when someone tells me, and again, I hear this a lot by virtue of the show and the TV and all that, people calling me who've been represented by other lawyers before, And they tell me, you know, their claim has been ongoing for three years, four years. That is insane. I mean, in the absolute rarest of circumstances, should you have a disability claim that goes on that far? I'm not saying it never happens, but that's absolutely insane. It should never, in my mind, unless absolutely with exceptional circumstances, happen. And again, having done defense in the past, 
I can tell you that there are lawyers out there who do everything themselves. They don't have a team. So therefore, if there are a thousand things to do on that file, they have to do one, two, three, as opposed to having a full team who could engage the entire file at the same time in parallel. The objective for our firm is to get resolution as soon as possible. That is clear from the outset. Not at any cost though. No, but it it is to get the resolution as quickly as we can because we know that our clients aren't receiving benefits and they're not receiving any other income. But there's only so many things that we can control. To the extent that we can control them, they go as quickly as possible. We can't control when our clients come to us. And so if our clients get a letter saying that they're going to be cut off in six months and wait those six months before they, they talk to us, there's nothing we can do about that time. We can't get that back for you. But if you see us right away, we can get it started right nice. away. So you know, a lot of this depends on outside forces. Anything that we can control, it is done as quickly as we possibly can. You have emails to send along. We would love to read some over the uh, course of the remaining uh, segments of the show. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. The number, by the way, one eight three three in your corner. This is in your corner. We continue right here. Hang on. One eight three three in your corner and help at inyourcorner.ca is that email address. As mentioned, Len, first one up here says, "My brother has had a, a brain tumor last year and he went off on disability as a result." He got short-term disability and then long-term, but after the surgery, the insurance company said that they would not pay him any more on LTD benefits because their medical consultant says that he should be all better after that surgery. My brother's doctors say that there is permanent uh, damage to his brain and he's disabled. He can't work. Can we do anything about this? I was thinking of uh, take, uh, talking to the media about uh, his situation. I just can't believe what the insurance company is doing. I'm absolutely furious. Well, Len, no doubt that you are, and for yeah. very good reason. John, when you were reading Len's email, you bumped on a particular phrase, and you know what I'm talking about here. When you're reading it, you, you emphasize medical consultant, yeah. which to me is just a euphemism for not a doctor. <laughs> If it was a doctor, Len would have said, you know, their their orthopedic surgeon or their brain specialist or whoever it was. Um, You know, in this particular case, they they have a medical consultant saying that Len's brother can go back to work. That's ridiculous. He's got treating doctors um, that are saying he's got serious issues with permanent damage to his brain. He's disabled. He can't work. That is who you listen to. This is a recurring theme on our show, and it will be until the end of time. You listen to your doctors. So what can be done about it? Well, number one, first and foremost, you challenge that denial. You bring a claim right away. That's what we'll do. Number two, you might well be right, Len, about the media being interested in this. Um, you know, Certainly, you want to take a look and make sure that we understand what's in the file and how they made their decision. But if everything that you're saying holds up with what we see in the file, I suspect it is something that the media would be interested in. And when there's a claim filed... We find oftentimes when there are really egregious circumstances, the media is interested and there's a story that that comes out of that. I can't really say one way or the other right now whether that would happen, but the elements are there, so that could well play out. I completely agree. We keep hammering the same points over and over and over. And, you know, on the media front, I'll say, you know, we're very active. And, of course, if you Google my name and James's name, you'll come up with stories, recent stories, old stories. You know, and sometimes we can't talk, uh, when I say we can't, I mean we cannot talk about certain stories uh, because oftentimes the pressure is so unbearable for the insurance company that they end up settling with us, but then there is a confidentiality clause. So we can't then go out and talk to people about that. But I'll tell you, John, as far as I'm concerned, everything is fair. If a person feels that they are being persecuted uh, or bullied by an insurance company, 
I, I don't see anything wrong with those individuals reaching out to various media outlets and trying to get their stories sure. out. I can tell you, insurance companies hate that. Not just insurance companies, any company hates that. You know, bad press is not good press, That's okay, right. for them. It's not like no. they want, they understand they're going to lose business if if these stories come out. And it happens with banks, with insurance companies, with a whole bunch of other entities like that. So use whatever you have, and that's what we do. We use whatever is in our disposable from a legal standpoint to advance these claims all the way. We don't compromise, and insurance companies know that. It's one eight three three in your corner and help at inyourcorner.ca. Crystal up next says, I'm 45, have been on LTD for over a year for chronic fatigue and numbness in my legs. I've worked for over 10 years as a real estate agent, and I bought a private long-term disability policy that I've been paying into for the last six years. Now the insurance company says that my disability is not serious enough for me to be off work, but both my family doctor and my neurologist are doing tests and say that I definitely can't go back. What can I do? The insurance company says that if I don't try to return to work by May, they'll stop my payments, which is extremely stressful. Help me out. So this is very common and it goes back to what James said at the beginning of the show, which is that people often feel pressured by insurance companies to try and go back to work, but their doctors haven't cleared them to go back. So what individuals would often do is they would go to their doctors and say, doctor, can you please write a note saying that I'm okay to go back to work? The problem is they're not ready. So what does a doctor do in some instances? They'll do that because they want to help their Mm -hmm. patients. And so they write that note and then the person goes back to work and they fail because they're not ready and their doctor told them that. But here's the problem. Now they want to go back on disability, on LTD. But now the LTD insurer comes around and says, hold on for a second. I see a note from your doctor saying you are ready to go back to work. that's a problem. Don't do that. Don't be forced by the insurance company to take a step that is going to be detrimental not only to your health, but to your legal claim. And in this case, specifically with Crystal, you know, she's told by the, she was told by the insurance company that in May, if she doesn't try to go back, then she'll be cut off. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that is, legally speaking, anticipatory breach. The insurance company is essentially breaching its contract with you. They're telling you they're going to cut you off when they ought not to cut you off mm-hmm. because the doctors are saying you cannot go back to work. So it's very important to understand that it's not as though you have no options. That's what they want you to think, that you have no options. You have options. We're telling you you have options. If you don't want to exercise those options or talk to us about those options, that's up to you. That we can't force you to do. Now, from a very practical approach here, Crystal, I I get this kind of question all the time. And there is something that you can do right now that will put you in a better position. You have to make sure that whatever your adjuster is telling you is reduced to writing and is in an email that you can use down the road. If they are telling you that over the phone, you want to make sure that there's a record of that. Mm -hmm. So every single time you have a conversation, I say this all the time, write it down and send an email immediately after so there's a record. In this particular case, if you haven't done that already, and if they haven't told you that they're going to cut you off in May um, unless you return back to work, if they haven't said that in writing, then right now, this very moment, you send an email to your adjuster saying, I'm summarizing what you have told me. You've told me that I must return to work, and if I don't, you are going to stop my benefits in May. Make sure that's in writing. If they get that and they don't deny that, then at least you have that. And you want to make sure that you also put to them that your doctors are telling you that you're not ready to return, and despite that, they are forcing you to go back to work. Short break, guys. Get back into some questions and emails as well. It is help at inyourcorner.ca to reach out and the phone number anytime, one in your corner as well. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. 
1833 in your corner is the number help at inyourcorner.ca for emails we'll get to a janet's email here in just uh, just a few moments question though when you mentioned doctor's notes so people go to their doctors for letters to support their ltd claims uh how do they approach their doctor what should they be asking for exactly well, that's that's a very good question, um, and you know, l- let me let me really lay it out and outline. You go to your doctor because you need your doctor to give you a letter for your LTD insurer. Right. You want your doctor ideally to say, "I am this person's uh, treating doctor." And by the way, that applies to psychologists. It applies to other practitioners. It doesn't matter. You want them to identify who they are in relation to you. And frankly, if I have someone, a doctor who's been treating my client, who's been my client's doctor for the last five years, six years, the longer the better because that means uh, practically that the doctor really knows this individual as opposed to only having been treating him for two you know, two weeks, right. a month. So, so you want them to identify themselves in that regard. Then you want the doctor to explicitly say, this person cannot work. Okay. Now, it really depends where you are in the LTD claim. Are you in the own occupation period? In other words, the first two years where to meet the definition of disability to qualify for LTD, you have to demonstrate and prove that you cannot do your own occupation? Or are you beyond that, beyond that two-year period where you have to demonstrate that you meet the any occupation test? You cannot do any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. Whatever, wherever you are within that process, your doctor should be saying in relation to that, this person, this patient cannot go back to work or to their job or to any job, whatever that doctor feels is appropriate, right? Because we don't want to put words in the mouth of the doctor. We just want to say, here's what the doctor needs to express. This person is unable to go back to work now or in the foreseeable future. And here is why. Oftentimes, doctors will have, you know, we'll just jot down something. This person needs to be off work for three weeks or for a month or for a year, but there's nothing there. There's no diagnosis, prognosis. And I know, James, you know, we discussed that you really, you don't have to have a diagnosis and a prognosis, but it's important to have meat on the bone. The doctor Mm -hmm. has to explain why in his or her opinion, you're unable to go back to work. And if it's a psychological issue, well, why is that? What is the functional impairment here? What is the problem? Cognitive deficits, you know, physical issues, walking, standing, pain, what is it? The more meat there is on the letter, the stronger that letter is. And that statement from the doctor that you're unable to go back to work at this point in time has to be unequivocal. Yeah, I I don't want to de-emphasize the significance of a diagnosis or prognosis. They matter for sure. And if you're able to get one from your doctor, by all means... My point earlier was really just that if you are in a position that your doctor hasn't been able to tell you what your diagnosis is, that does not mean that you're not entitled to benefits. Mm. You still very well may be, but it's not a uh, condition of being able to get your benefits. It's about your symptoms. Want to uh, roll over to uh, Janet's email. Again, it is help at inyourcorner.ca. Janet says I'm a uh, database analyst. I'm 46, and I was just diagnosed recently with lupus. I had breast cancer in 2014 that led to a double mastectomy, and then I developed depression and other conditions, including arthritis. I've got three doctors, three doctors that say uh, that I see regularly, and they all agree that I can't go to work because of my condition, but the insurance company says that I don't fit their definition of quote-unquote totally disabled. I don't understand what you need to show to be considered totally disabled. I can't work, and they just don't care, despite the fact that I paid premiums for this insurance myself, myself, for eight years. What should I do? What can I do? So I really appreciate this email, and this is a good opportunity to talk about that term, totally disabled. Yep. What does that mean? So 
by the policy, the term total, totally disabled is just going to mean that for the first two years, you were unable to return to your occupation because of an illness or an injury. And after those two years, to any occupation that you might be suited by training, education, or experience. That is what it means. If you were to take your policy out and take a look at the first couple pages, there will be definitions in there. And in those definitions will be that term, totally disabled. Mm -hmm. And it will mean essentially what I've just told you, inability to return to your occupation in the first two years. They call it totally totally disabled or total disability for a reason, though. And the reason is to confuse you. They sometimes will just call it disability or disabled. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction between the two. They could call it gummy bear. As long as they define it the same way, it means the same thing. All it means is whatever the words are at the beginning of the policy. It means you cannot return to your own occupation. But they call it totally disabled, number one, to confuse you, and number two, to make you think that it's a higher threshold. So mm -hmm. when they cut you off or when they deny you, they say, you don't meet the definition of totally disabled under the policy. And you think to yourself, well, gee, that's true. I'm not totally disabled. I mean, I can do some things. I can't yeah. work, but I can do something. I'm not totally disabled. A quadriplegic. That makes or sense. Yeah, that's what they assume, but right? They're not using totally disabled the way you or I might use it in casual conversation. Totally disabled has a very specific meaning and it is defined in the policy and it means nothing more and nothing less. If you're not able to go back to your job or your occupation, then you qualify for benefits. You meet the definition of totally disabled. Wow. They call it that for a reason and it's just to add confusion and to make you think that your case is weaker than it really is. That's all it is. That is all it is. So yeah, we challenge them on that denial for right. sure. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't just confuse individuals, it confuses doctors and practitioners because I think uh, any person looking at this term without looking specifically at the policy, and even if we're, they were to look at the policy, I, I completely agree with James. I mean, the term itself lends itself to an image. Right, an daunting. Ima you're thinking wow. about somebody who is in a coma yeah, or somebody right. who's paralyzed from the neck down, you know, Christopher Reeve, Superman, you sure. know, and he, you know, mm -hmm. that's it, he's done. No, that's not what it is. So, I'm, you know, James really summarized it extremely well. And I tell you this, when an insurance company takes the position that the person, despite what their doctors are saying, doesn't meet that um, um, threshold mm -hmm. of total disability, those tend to be, in my experience, the weaker cases for the insurance company. They end up bending over backwards to try and achieve a settlement. So don't be intimidated by that letter, that email, or that call that you get from the adjuster saying you are not really disabled. If you know that you cannot go back to work and your doctors agree with you, you are totally disabled as per the policy. Guys, we'll take a, a short pause here, last one, before we get into the last few minutes of the show and get to a couple more emails, uh, at least here. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email, and you want to reach out, one eight three three in your corner is the number. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. one eight three three in your corner help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Denise used it, said my brother was in a, a pretty bad car crash last week. He was rear-ended by a large truck, and my uh, my brother's car flipped over several times. The firefighters had to use the jaws of life to get him out, and he was airlifted to hospital with a very uh, with some very serious injuries. He's still in the hospital. He obviously can't work, and I'm not sure what will happen now. He is 32 and has a wife and two young kids. He's a manager at a warehouse. Uh, what should we be doing from a legal standpoint, and should we take any steps now legally? Well, there, there's a lot to do here, Denise, um, but fortunately, um, it, it's something that can be done right now. There are things that can be done to help your brother and his family out. 
So the obvious thing that people think of when you get into a car accident is bringing a legal claim against the other driver who's right. at fault. And certainly that is something your brother can and should do in these circumstances. But as most people understand, it can take a while before a legal claim for a car accident can be resolved. Sometimes it's a couple of years, sometimes even longer, and that's not going to help your brother. What will help your brother, though, is in Ontario, any person who is involved in a car accident is going to be entitled to what are called statutory accident benefits. And we talk about this from time to time on the show. What this does is it provides you with some relief. It's what you hear of as no-fault benefits. That's right. what it is. So for the first uh, two years and possibly beyond that, your brother may well be entitled to what are called income replacement benefits. pays up to $400 a week. In addition to that, he's going to be entitled to medical and rehabilitation benefits. Um, at a bare minimum, if you have very minor injuries, it's going to be 3500 Your brother's going to be well beyond that. Um, and at a minimum, he's probably going to be entitled to at least 60000 But if he meets the definition of a catastrophic impairment, mm -hmm. it can be up to a million dollars. So there is a lot of help that is potentially there for your brother. And it's just an insurance claim. You don't even need a lawyer to apply for it. But certainly, if we any, any clients that we have, we help manage their accident benefits. And here's another thing. We don't charge our clients for it. So if someone comes to see us, they've been in a car accident, we will help them start their accident benefits claim. And as long as the insurance company pay, pays those benefits, they don't deny them, you are going to get 100% of that. It's only if we have to dispute the benefits, if they deny your benefits after a certain point. Yes, at that point beyond that, we would charge our normal fees. But up to that point, we will charge you nothing to handle your benefits mm -hmm. for you. So there are certainly things that can be done um, in terms of uh, your brother's family. There, there are benefits that might be available to them, as well as claims that can be made in the legal claim as well, too. So there are plenty of things that can be done. The most important thing, though, is to get that accident benefits claim started right away and to come talk to us to discuss what all the options are. Given your brother's condition, it may well be the case that he's not in any shape to come visit us, and that's perfectly fine. One of our lawyers can certainly go and meet with him at the hospital or wherever he's mm -hmm. staying at his convenience. Yeah, I, you know, I, again, James summarized everything really well. There's a lot to unpack here. But, you know, we speak a lot about long-term disability, and I think people forget sometimes that we do deal with severe car accidents, serious car accidents. We had a pretty harsh winter, a uh, very strange winter. Yeah. Um, and so we see, tend to see a lot of these kinds of, of serious collisions throughout Ontario, throughout BC. We deal with those claims. We deal with slip and falls, all that kind of stuff. And, and frankly, in many instances, uh, again, there is, there is the, the overlap between the, the accident itself that was caused by someone's negligence that we can pursue entitlements for for our clients, as well as potential LTD that gets cut off or denied, as well as employment issues, right? People who have... Uh, you know, been subject to to severe accidents, different types of injuries, oftentimes have issues with their employers. We deal with everything in-house. And I think in a way that gives us an edge because we're able to talk amongst ourselves. We, we're able to bring in a whole bunch of expertise that deals specifically with those relevant areas that, you know, our clients need help with and make sure that no money is left uh, uncollected, that we, we maximize how much, how much compensation we can get for our clients. You know, we've talked about uh, forever about the, the insurance company's doctor and you being sent to that doctor. Do you have to follow the treatment plan of that doctor? And what if your doctor, your treating professional, disagrees with that diagnosis or, or the plan of treatment? Well, let's start from the proposition that you have an obligation in law 
to mitigate. And what does that mean? It means you try, you have to try and minimize your losses. So if you let go from your job, you have an obligation, as you and Lior talk about all the mm-hmm. time, uh, on the employment hour, to try and find another job. When you are injured, you have an obligation to try and get better, to get medical treatments. Uh, if you are disabled and have an illness, again, you have an obligation to follow what your right. doctors are saying. If you don't follow what your doctors are saying, you're going to have a problem here because if this ever goes before a judge, a judge is going to ask, well, why is it that you're not trying to get better? Now, you may have a reason for that, but the optics are horrible. But what happens if it's the insurance company's doctor or their medical consultant who says, I think you should do this, and your doctors disagree? Again, it's a nuanced approach. We have to figure out why exactly your doctor disagrees. But if your doctor has a good reason for why you should not be following whatever the insurance doctor is saying... As far as I'm concerned, you should be following what your treating doctors are telling you to do. And I don't think anybody, a judge included, is going to fault you for following your own doctor's advice. Now, sometimes you're going to have a situation where the insurance doctor suggests that you do something, some kind Mm -hmm. of a treatment, and your own doctor says, you know what, that might not be a bad idea. Well, you're going to have a hard time not listening and not trying to do this. Again, the optics are not good. You know, if you don't follow these recommendations, it's going to look as though you're not trying to get better. But if your doctors are telling you not to try something, not to do something, and there is a valid reason for that, follow your doctor's recommendations. Those are the ones who are treating you. They're the ones who are seeing you regularly, not the insurance doctor. Because sometimes this insurance doctor has recommended this, and you haven't even had a physical exam with this person, right? Yeah, sometimes they're not even a, they don't even have the requisite specialty um, in whatever it is that you're dealing with. Uh, more often than not, if they do hire a doctor, it's someone who um, is a generalist, and very rarely do they ever actually assess you in person. We'll uh, take it from there, guys. Good for another week. You want to reach out if uh, anything has piqued your interest from the show, have any other questions, no problem. one eight three three in your corner is that number, or simply help at inyourcorner.ca as well. This has been In Your Corner on Global News Radio.